Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hillspring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. And I'm really glad you're here today. Um, all my men up in the room, I know we've talked about Remnant, but Tuesday night is the night for that. I hope you'll be here. Dinner is free. It's going to be amazing. It's fantastic. It's a good time for guys to um, just kind of hang out. I don't want to sound too girly, you know, like just chit-chat because don't do that. But uh, what happens at Remnant stays at Remnant, ladies. So oh, I'm just kidding. So um, before we jump into our conversation today, a verse that I think is kind of fitting for most of the state of Oklahoma today, it's Romans 12, 15, is that we will be happy with those who are happy, and we will weep with those who weep. Can I get an amen, right? You know what I'm saying? So there was an over and under on how many OU jokes I would make today, and if I kept it under three, I get lunch for free. So you're welcome. So by the way, I put that in my notes before I knew how the game was going to work out. So uh, in a series called Hot Topics, just taking a biblical approach to topics we deal with in everyday life. And so the Bible can sometimes seem deep and teachy and theology-y, if you will, but it really does. When we, we buy into God's way, it really does impact our life. And so that's kind of the point of this Hot Topics series that we're doing. And today's conversation, it may not hit everybody where you're at today. But I do believe that God wants to speak to all of us through his word. The word of God will not come back null and void. And like maybe it doesn't hit where you're at today, but it's still there's something there for all of us. And, and Pastor Matt says this a lot. I want to quote him. He probably stole it from somebody. So before we even go any further, you wouldn't go to Taco Bell and order a Big Mac. Just wouldn't. That'd be weird. They look at you like, uh, that's not here, right? So I want you to understand when, what you should expect when you come to Hillspring Church. Just know that we view life, love, marriage, family, kids, psychology, biology, all theologies, like we view them through the lens of the Word of God. And so I'm going to use a term a lot today called biblical worldview, meaning the world that's going on out there, the world that's created, we see it through the lens of God's Word. And so I, I don't want you coming in here thinking this is McDonald's, this is Hillspring. I just want you to know that. And when scripture is clear, we're clear. Now, I mean, I'm not going to argue with you, but we're clear. Where scripture is vague because there are times we wish we had just a little more information, right? Because sometimes it leans this way, sometimes it's this way. And so where scripture is vague, we just choose to walk in grace. Saying all that, we're going to look at a biblical approach to things through this series about our daily lives, our stresses, our emotions, and our choices. So last weekend on Saturday, mid-afternoon, I looked at Jerry and I said, girl, tomorrow night we are going on a date. And she goes, ooh, I like dates, right? So we got done with church and kind of got around on late, you know, early Sunday evening. Dropped Kaylee off at the babysitter. No, I'm just kidding. I don't, I don't, did she eat last Sunday? I don't even know if she ate. I don't, I don't know. We can't keep up with her, right? So I took Jerry to Logan's Steakhouse. I know some of y'all thinking I should have splurged and gone to Waffle House. Sometimes that happens. But we went to a steakhouse, very laxed. And I looked at her and I said, you know what today is? And so in a moment, like her face just kind of had this, oh no, what did I forget? <laughs> you know? And I said, today, 
is the 24th anniversary of our first date to the day. For a brief moment, I was the greatest husband in the world. <laughs> yeah, I was, right? Okay, now, to be honest with you, there is some mild controversy surrounding our first date to which she would falsely contend that she did not know she was actually going on a date, rather just an office party where we were riding together. I'm like, look at me, whatever it takes, right? I could not risk asking her on a date because I'm not sure she would have said yes to a date, so I had to do whatever it was just to kind of get to hang out, right? Here we are all these years later, 24 years as a couple, 22 years of marriage, two amazing kids, two fun dogs, and 43 wild feral cats today. Actually, I'm not sure it's that many because the number just kind of goes up and down depending on the coyote population in our area, right? That is so cruel. Whatever. Okay, they're cats, right? And in 639 days, we will be empty nesters. Not that I'm counting kids. You know what I'm saying? Right? Mom and daddy loves you, right? We just can't afford kids and cats. Okay, so I want you to understand there were days that we were not going to make it. And, and let me, I mean, and I, I know Wednesday night's coming. It, it kind of feels like a setup for a good old-fashioned BK roast. <laughs> I'm okay. But I, I want to say, number one, how much I love and appreciate my wife and her willingness for me to do this right here, to even share sometimes intimate details about our life and our kids and our family. Because just every Sunday morning, she sits on that front row and goes, what in the world is he going to share about our life today? And that can be, I can be stressful, right? You know what I'm saying? And so... Um, man, I, I had been married before I ever met Jerry. She had been through some unhealthy, tough relationships. So by the time we found each other, by the time we got married, number one, we were both a big hot mess. We brought our own luggage, all kinds of luggage in. Both of us had been cheated on in previous relationships. We didn't trust each other. We didn't trust ourselves. And there were so many external factors pulling on our marriage, like beneath the water. You couldn't see them externally. But when you would back up and look and look at her past and my past, man, there was just so much working against us. Fortunately, both of us grew up in a home where her original mom and dad stayed married, still married. My mom and dad, my bio parents were married till the day my dad died. And both families put Jesus at the center of the home. And I, I'm so grateful for that. There were days we loved each other because Jesus said we had to, but we sure didn't like each other. <laughs> Let me just tell you, are we perfect? No. Are we having the time of our life? Ask me in 639 days. No, I'm just kidding. Right, we're having the time of our life, right? Like last Sunday night was so fun. I mean, to celebrate 24 years of our first date of love and commitment and relationship, but there's a lot of struggle and there's a lot of hard days mixed into that. So if you've got your Bible, I'm gonna look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse four. That's the text that we're gonna kind of build our conversations out of today. There's no blanks for you to fill in. I just left blank space for you to kind of take your own notes and things that I may say that may help invest where you're at or, or whatever. So we're just gonna have some conversations. We're gonna base them out of a very powerful poetic passage that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. And he says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. 
even if you haven't had your coffee, like there's no coffee clause in verse 13 or chapter 13, verse 5, right? It keeps no record of wrong. It does not rejoice without injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Paul hit an absolute home run here. This is so beautiful, so powerful, so poetic. And what's interesting is Paul's not even talking about marriage here. He's writing about life. He's writing to his problem children Christians at the church of Corinth, okay? They, they were very zealous. They had a lot of energy. They were very eager, right? But they were also kind of taking a secular approach, kind of a worldly approach to Christianity. Even so much, you can read in the context of some of what he talks about in his two letters that he wrote to them, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, that there were sometimes just these spiritual competitions, like I'm more spiritual than you are. I am, I, because I have the gift of teacher, I'm more spiritual than you. Oh yeah, well I have the gift of prophecy. And they kind of get into this who's more spiritual competition, if you will. Well, I, 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 can, I can speak in tongues more than you. And Paul's like, Don't, uh, you guys are missing the small stuff. Like love, love your neighbor, Let, let's go there, right? So he makes this point, you can have all the gifts you can do all the things. And if you don't have love, you've missed the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is God so loved, he gave his only begotten son. Jesus loved us so much. Love nailed him to a cross. And if we are to be image bearers of Christ, we need to walk in that love. So he writes this beautiful poetic passage about love, talking about how love behaves. Verse 11, when I was a child, I... Spoke up and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. I'm going to put that in the BKV, the Brent Kellogg version. I'm going to translate that for you. Here's what Paul's saying. Grow up. <laughs> like, like when you're a kid, you act like a kid, but you're not a kid anymore. Grow up. We're talking about marriage today. There's the num number one, grow up. But that's not number one. Okay. He concludes... This thought passage, if you will. Paul did not write this in chapter and verse, but this section of this letter to the church in Corinth, he concludes with this thought right here in verse 13. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. I'm by myself today. Okay, amen. Well, I got you. You don't need to. Okay. So some of you have 1 Corinthians 13. Maybe you have some of those powerful, beautiful verses memorized where you can spit them out. Some of them maybe have them in artwork hanging on your home or maybe a wallpaper on a computer or cell phone or whatever. Maybe you had the minister read that at your wedding. It's so beautiful. It's so powerful. It's so poetic. But it's also so practical. So here we are in our hot topics. And for me, it was a no-brainer to have this conversation just for, for a couple of reasons. Number, number one is the the. God-ordained union of marriage. God's institution of marriage, which is one man and one woman, is under attack in the day and times that we live in. Number two, that attack shows up in our marriages. It shows up in our daily lives. It shows up in our conflict with our spouse. It shows up in our friends, in our families. It shows up in our church family. And I'm just looking at my schedule. You know what I'm saying? And, and just loving people and just praying with people for their marriage and so forth. So I thought, you know what? We're just gonna, there's a lot of conversation going on, so it's a no-brainer for me. Let's just take a Sunday because this is a hot topic. And let's just look at one place in Scripture 
that maybe can encourage. My hope today is to give you hope and faith and love for your marriage and speak life to you. But some of this is going to be hard work where we're going to roll up our sleeves. We're going to hear things. Well, I don't want to hear that. It's okay. We're here to get better. Can I get an amen? So we're going to gather around God's word. And we're going to gather around godly ideas that are rooted in his word. And it's going to practically impact our daily lives in our marriage. Okay, so we're going to have four conversations. And the first conversation is, I'm not married. Bad day to come to church, right? Here's what I would say to you. Why, Why should this matter to me? Number one, I recognize this hits a significant group of people in the room today. We've got a ton of teenagers that your forever person is not here, but someday they will be. Or we have folks on the other end of the life spectrum that maybe you lost your spouse and, and you're, just, you're just waiting on glory. You know what I'm saying? And, and so why, how should this matter to me? A couple of things I would say to you first is you may not be married today, but maybe someday you will be. And I want you to be ready. To all my young people in the room, like you need, you need to listen. You need to lean in. You, you need to listen because you need to know what you're signing up for. You need to know what you have to look forward to. Marriage is a beautiful gift from God. It's not always easy. Don't amen that. We need to know what God's expectation for when you have found your forever person. You you need to know what's expected of you. Before you say, I do, it's important to know what that means. So, well, why should I leave you? I know you're not married now, but there will come a day when you are, and we want you to be prepared for that. Secondly, you will, you do have married friends. Some of them can be drama. Don't point anybody out. Some of them go whine about their spouse. Some of them go whine about their marriage. You're gonna watch them struggle. You're gonna see them want to quit. Why not be prepared and armed with biblical counsel to help and encourage them? Oh man, I can't even imagine what you're going. I know this has to be hard. Hey, have you considered, bam, in some of the conversations we're gonna talk today, you're welcome. And then lastly, I would say two of the three ideas I'm gonna present today, two of the three conversations, they apply to marriage, but they apply to life. You know what I'm saying? They're just good Christian biblical principles that we need to apply to our life, single, married, not sure, you know what I'm saying? So like no marriage required applies to some of these principles, all right? So that's conversation number one. Why should I listen? A myriad of reasons. Question number two, or conversation number two, is, well, my spouse won't change. So go ahead and just finish that. My spouse won't change to make me happy. Just That's what you're saying. We like to cut that tag off. Well, my spouse refuses. My spouse won't change. But go ahead and say that. My spouse won't change to make me happy, Okay? To which I would say, they cannot make you happy. It is an impossible ask. Like Jerry Maguire lied to us. You know what I'm saying? Like, you complete me. Uh, 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 uh. Like, unhappy people make unhappy marriages. Unhappy people make unhappy friends. Unhappy people make unhappy relationships. And, and some of you have heard me say, every time I talk to our teenagers, Pastor Matt, you know, invites me into their youth services and I, and I talk about this. Every time I talk to young people about your, your planning and waiting and praying for your forever person, there's two things I always say to any young person that will stand there long enough and listen. Number one, make sure they love God more than they love you. 
Because there's going to come a day when you're about year five or seven and you got kids pulling on you and bills you can't pay. You're going to need to make sure their life is centered on Christ because that emotion that you are so giddy and giggly about right now, someday it is going to erode away. And you better make sure that you are connected to, married to somebody that sees the world the same way you do through a biblical worldview. Somebody ought to say amen. So make sure they love God more than they love you. And then secondly, make sure they are happy without you. (gasps) No, you complete me. No, 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 no. It is an impossible ask to make an unhappy person happy. If you're asking that of your spouse, you have put them in an impossible situation. Situation And some, some of you, I love you, some of you are asking your spouse to change to make you happy. So let's go back to that 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5. It, love. Love does not demand its own way. So if I were to ask you what two things would kill a marriage, some of the answers you would holler back at me would be money. Fight about money. One of them would be adultery. And so statistically, money and adultery are the things that typically cause divorces in, in the United States, okay? And so those are good answers. Those are leading reasons for divorce, but they are just symptoms of bigger issues. I'm gonna go ahead and get this over with right now, okay? Y'all act like you're a little mad this morning, so I recognize all the cowboy fans were in the first service. I got you, right? Everybody repeat after me, I love... BK. If you're new, my name's Brent Kellogg. My initials are BK. We do not have some fetish with Burger King. It's not that good anyway, right? Because I got to say some hard stuff right now. And unless somebody says it, you won't get better. The two things that will drag and drain on your marriage, are you ready? Are selfishness and laziness. Being selfish and lazy. But those two things will get your career. Those two things will get your friendships. Those two will get any relationship. That's why Paul is pretty descriptive when he is talking about love. He's saying, listen, love isn't selfish. So that, but what about me? We need to remove that from our vocabulary. Hold up, preacher. Mm. This is cute, and you... Probably you're supposed to say that, like you heard some other guy say it, and so you just thought it was, mm-hmm, right? But you don't know my spouse. They are the ones that are selfish and lazy, right? So a couple things that I would say to you today, right, is number one, listen for you. Eyeballs straight ahead, no cutting eyes, mm-hmm. you know? Keep your elbows tucked in. Your spouse does not need to leave out of here go, never coming back, you know what I'm saying? Like, because you're... Jabbing at Listen for you today. Don't listen for your spouse. Let the Holy Spirit work and do a work in you and listen for you. And then secondly, I would say if this is where you're at, this is a huge faith-building moment for you. It's a question. Are you going to trust God and God's word and God's ways or are you going to continue to try to control your own life and manipulate your spouse? Do you believe God's ways work or not? I'm not saying you have to trust your spouse. I am saying you need to trust 
God at work in your spouse. Galatians 6, 9 says, let's not get tired of doing the right thing. Let's not get tired of doing good. At just the right time, we will reap a bountiful harvest of blessing if we do not give up. I'm gonna put this in the Brent Kellogg version, the BKV. If you do the right things, if you do what God's word is asking you to do, then you can trust God with the results. You can trust God with the harvest of blessing. The good things are eventually going to come along because you're doing the right things. I promise you, I was not changing fast enough to make Jerry happy. I was not. Not only was I not changing fast enough, I wasn't changing at all. Okay? So she had a choice to make. Does she keep fighting with me to change? Or does she hand me over to the Holy Spirit and let him deal with me? Because I'm going to tell you something. The Holy Spirit produces a lot better fruit than our attempts to change our spouse and change our marriage. Two things that will get your marriage. Selfish and lazy. Several years ago, many moons ago, I was counseling a couple that was going through some rough times, okay? And, and we work with a group of Christian counselors since COVID. Their workload has doubled, tripled, and sometimes it's, it's hard to get in. And that's just an industry thing. It's just the mental health state of our nation. And so this was years way before COVID. And I wanted to send this couple to this group that, that we work with but one of the members of the, of, the, of the marriage goes, oh, no, 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 I, I think I can go to, and I'm not gonna name the place, but it's, you know, it was a counseling center. And they said, my insurance will, will help cover that, and so I'll, I'll just go there. To which I said, okay, a, a good counselor should help you kind of unpack some hurt of the past and kind of get you back on track. One of the worst pieces of pastoral counseling advice I've ever given in my life. Make sure that your counselor, your friend, your trusted person, the person you vent to, make sure they have a biblical world view about life. Meaning, if a counselor has ever told you, will you deserve to be happy? And that's the first piece of advice that they've given you. You need to rethink who's speaking into your life. You need to find someone that sees life through God's standard, through the biblical worldview of life. I love you, I love you, but God is far more concerned about your holiness than he is your happiness. The counselor, that, had, that was the first piece of advice. Well, you deserve to be happy, so I would advise you to divorce your spouse, not work on it, go ahead and have the affair that you want to have. Selfish and lazy will get your marriage. And it got that one. She did whatever the counselor gave her permission to do. Gave up on her marriage, went and had the affair. Listen, you cannot build a biblical marriage on secular advice. You cannot have a holy biblical marriage on worldly advice. That's why I keep coming back to this biblical worldview. This big, we need people who see the world through the word of God, through hope, through faith, through love, to help encourage you. My spouse won't change to make me happy. The Bible says love does not demand its own way. Instead of you trying to change them, let's turn them over to the Holy Spirit 
is he does a lot better job producing fruit than you do. Our third conversation. I love him slash her. I wanted to put I love them, but in today's, you gotta be clear. You just gotta be clear. First service, just laughed at that. That was awesome. I don't know, man. I love him, I love her, I just don't like them, (laughs) right? Because that's fair. But let's get to the root of what this question is saying. I've lost the emotions for my relationship. Meaning, man, when we first started dating, I used to get the tingles. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I get the goosebumps. I just wanted to be with them. I would cancel plans to get to be with them, right? They made me feel, and we all have the way we would end that sentence. They make you feel great, warm, love, secure, whatever, right? And now today it's, you never close your eyes anymore. Like, it's the righteous brothers. You've lost that loving feeling. You've lost the emotions in your marriage. I love them, I just don't like them. I don't even like to be around them, right? So let's be real, we didn't get here overnight because there was a point we would cancel things to be with them there was a time they were the only person I wanted to be with there was a time that man we just laughed and we stayed up late and talked and we were tired all the next day we didn't get to this place where I don't like you overnight along the way we made some choices when you say yes to one thing you're saying no to something else every time And there is no quick fix. There's no take two Tylenol, call me tomorrow. We'll see if it, you know, there's, no, there's no quick vacation, no weekend away. Is it, right, now those create opportunities for you to invest in your marriage. Even counseling creates opportunities for you to have healthy conversation. But the reality is we did not get here overnight. We are reaping the harvest of a series of bad choices and saying yes to the wrong things. But the good news is, remember Galatians 6, 9, never get tired of doing what's good. Remember remember we put that up on the screen a minute ago? Let me back up to Galatians 6, 7. The good news is you will always harvest what you plant. So here's the principle. You can be selfish and lazy. You can ignore your spouse. You can ignore your marriage. You can live by all the wrong priorities. Over a period of time, you're going to wake up one day and you're going, I love you. Jesus says I have to but I just don't like you, right? And our choices have chipped away at our emotions. And here's the reality. We harvested what we planted. I'm a country boy. I'm a proud member of the FFA, okay? One of the principles we learned, you don't plant corn seeds and get tomatoes. It don't work that way, okay? So maybe it took a few years for your marriage to get into this place where we're just kind of tolerating each other. We're roommates. We're kind of more described as partner sharing expenses and so on and so forth. But you wake up and and you don't like them and you're unfulfilled. It, It may have taken you several years to get there. But here's the idea. When you flip that script, it works in your favor. When you plant the right seeds, when you invest in the right things, when you live by the right set of priorities, when you say yes to the right things, God adds something to your efforts. He does something that you can't do for yourself. It's his principle. He designed it. He joins you in your work and your process of healing. 
So it may have taken you two years or four years or 11 years or whatever to get into this bad place where your marriage is broken. But the reality is the healing process, the redemption process, it does not take 11 years to fix. It might have taken 11 years to get there, but if you do the right things and God adds his favor on top of it, you can turn things in three months, six months, nine months of doing the right things. There is a bountiful harvest. I'm alone. Okay. Like, I don't know what to do with you guys. Good. Cut that part out of the video, will you? There you go. Leadership principle. If you don't know why you have momentum, you don't know why you have success when you lose it, you don't know where to go get it. Now the Lord's just blessing. <laughs> no, no, there's biblical principles. There's good godly principles we've applied in our life. And if you don't know why you have success when you lose it, you won't know where to go back and get it. Same holds true for our marriage. So somewhere along the way, at first we were giddy and we loved each other and we did all these things. Something shifted. It means you did something that either created positive momentum or negative momentum. If you don't know what you did, you need to go back to the basics and go back to your first love. Go back to the things you did once upon a time. You've made some choices that got you where you are, so now I need to go back and make some different choices. Does that make sense? Plant good seeds and let God help them mature. Last question. Let's get practical. Let's get practical for a second. Because maybe some of you in here are, you're in a mess. Maybe you're in a mess. And some of you are here today and your spouse is really mad because they think you knew what I was preaching on. We did not release this. So don't go and start. You made me go to church today because you know you don't talk about that. That, isn't, that didn't happen. Like there are like four people who knew what I was preaching on today. Okay. But I just want to get practical. Some simple things that you can do today to turn the tide in your emotions, in your marriage, in the love, okay? The, the first one is, so what are some of the secret bullets? Um, practical priorities. And here's the deal, I love you. You're probably mad at me right now, but that's okay. I feel that way most Sundays, right? So if I don't speak some truth, if I just keep patting y'all on the back, well, brother, we're just praying for you. You just keep trying. You, you just, you'll get there. You just hang on. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord, right? And, and nobody corrects anything or changes anything or says anything loving yet clear to you. That mentality has been killing marriages for years because no one would speak the truth. No one would put the word of God and standard up in front of you, right? No one's willing to put in the work. Today, we're rolling up the sleeves and we're going to do some work, okay? So practical priorities, not paper, not paper priorities, because here's the deal. If I were to ask you, we, hey, take out a piece of paper and a pen and write down your three priorities in your life, this is how the top, at least two, your top two, three would go. Number one, you'd put the Lord. My number one priority is God. The Sunday school answer, right? If I'm afraid if I did anything else, I'd get struck by lightning. So I put God. And the number two, I'm going to put family. We, we would, if we list our priorities, we'd put God, then we'd put family, and then maybe career, hobby, or cats, I don't know. What, but three is where it starts to get washy. But we would all say the Lord is our number one priority, and our family is our number two priority. But when we look at our life, our schedule, our checkbook, it doesn't reflect that. So you have to ask yourself, who is your priority? 
And, and honestly, you have to ask yourself, who is your God? You said you loved me a minute ago. In Oklahoma in 2023, most families with children in the home have made their children their God. Because we live to please them and not please God. But we wrote God down as our number one priority. Statistically, that's not true. It's just not. Ten years ago, I just had that conversation this week about how much the demand on having your kids involved in activities, how much that's changed over 10 years ago. Because 10 years ago, like even weekend ball tournaments would be done on Saturday night. If you were at the ball field till 1030, it's fine, but it was done on Saturday night. That is not true anymore. It's all day Saturday, all day Sunday. Sunday is not sacred anymore, right? And then I, I always hear this. But you don't understand. If we don't take our kid... He won't play. She won't start. They won't, boom. I, I hear you. I hear you. And, and we, we want our kids to play. We want our kids to be happy. We want our kids to start. Statistically, they're not happy anyway. So you have a choice to make. Okay? This seems a little bit extreme, but I can show you statistics that it's not extreme. You have a choice to make. Is your kid going to play, and we're going to do all the things, do that so your kid can be the starter or you can grow up and grow old together and watch your grandkids. And you can watch your grandkids grow up and you can still be married to the spouse of your youth. And then your kids don't have to figure out how they're going to go to four different Christmases and work that all in. Because we've made the hard choices, practical priorities. Who is your God? Who are you trying to please? Your four year old or the Lord? Secret bullet number two, I, I, I say this often. Like when I do marriage counseling, I, like the last thing I give them, the last golden nugget, is eat dinner at the table as a family as much as you can. Eat dinner at the table as a family as much as you can. And I understand that that is sometimes a challenge. In today's time, it is really a challenge. Because we've got this one that's got that lesson and we've got this one that's got this ball and this one that's got that. And, and then, then there's church, because we do. There's a couple of nights we're like, hey, bring us your kids because we want to partner with you and we want to speak life to them and we, we want to get them in a small group where some other adults can help paint that biblical worldview by teaching them the word of God. And, and so you got to figure all that out. But on the nights that you can, sit at the table, have dinner together as a family because you're going to create space for your kids as they get older to ask questions. When they're little, you're going to ask questions like this. Hey, what was the best part of your day? And the first grader is going to go, recess. And then when they're sixth grade, what was the best part of your day? Nothing. If they even speak at all. And then there's going to come a day where they're wrestling with some of the big things in life where the worldview out there is not biblical. But you've created a habit of we're going to have conversation at the table. Have dinner at the family table as much as you can. Not watching TV, not everybody playing on their phone. The table needs to be a no phone zone. I know. Is it going to be a priority or not? Thirdly is worship together weekly as a priority. Worship, well, that's very, sure, preacher, you just want a bunch of people in the seats. Listen, I'm just telling you statistically, there is a difference. It's not, it, it's not foolproof for everybody. Some of you had your kids in church. 
and something didn't connect, but I'm just telling you by a vast amount of majorities, the families that make worship a priority and raise their kids in church, it sticks. So making worship together as a priority as a family. So we say our priorities are number one, God, and then family, and then hobbies or career, all the other stuff, right? Making family a priority. Making family a priority. So many times we've mislabeled that. We think making family a priority means letting our kids run our lives and do everything that they want to do. And we have mislabeled our crazy busy schedules as making family a priority. So we go into ball and lessons and social things and then we just say, well, that's just family because we don't want to disappoint our kids. But we have made a great exchange. We have made our kids to be our gods. Our kids' happiness, our kids' fulfillment, that is what we are serving. And consequently, we have the most depressed generation of kids world history has ever recorded. So this great exchange is not working. It's not working in our marriages, and it's not working in the next generation. We're not raising godly kids. We're raising a bunch of ballplayers. Very calm. Practical priorities, not paper. Not what you would write down on paper. But that God is laced in leading your family on how you need to lead, live, and lead. All right, one more practical thing. I got a little yelly. I'm very passionate. But I think the Spirit of God is trying to get somebody's attention. The quickest thing I can give you to help fix your marriage. It's called a keystone habit. A keystone habit is something that when you do it, it impacts the other things in your life. So for example, there's researchers out there that would say if you wanna lose weight, the best thing you can do is this keystone habit and that's keep a food journal. Just write down what you're eating. And after you've written down what you've eaten for about three or four days, you go, well, that makes sense. I had 12 cheeseburgers on Tuesday. Probably not going to lose much weight there, right? So years ago when Kaylee was little, I know a lot of you heard me tell this story. She was having stomach issues. Take her to the doctor. Her stomach hurts all the time. Doctor, okay, but I, what are you eating? Oh, well, we had green beans last month, right? So the doctor says, I want you to keep a food journal of everything that she eats. And let's do that for 10 days. We set an appointment for about two weeks and come back in. So first day, we were, uh, we, we were really good at writing down. Second day, at the end of the day, we had to try to remember in the third day. But, but after about four days of keeping the food journal, I tore out the food journal. I wadded it up and threw it in the trash and repented to Jesus, okay? Lord, I'm sorry I keep shoving McDonald's down my kid's face. Because it was chicken nuggets, mac and cheese, it was junk. I went to the doctor and I said, message received. We have significantly changed our diet. We got her off of dark pop. We changed, and lo and behold, stomach issues went away. What, what, what was it that started that? It was the keystone habit of keeping a food journal. You wanna lose weight? Just try that. Just try writing down, and, and you'll start to look and go, oh, Houston, we might have a problem. And so you'll start eating better, and when you start eating better, you're gonna start feeling better. When you start feeling better and the weight starts to drop off, you go, you know what, I think I wanna walk. And you'll start walking and then you'll start losing more weight and you'll start to feel better and you want to become more active. The keystone habit that starts all of that is just writing down the junk that you eat. Here's the keystone habit that will fix your marriage. Statistically, is every day pray together. Not pray at each other. Like, dear Lord, 
You know he's a hot mess. I pray, God, you just fix him. He's so selfish and lazy. And the preacher today confirmed it. God, just heal him. Don't, don't. It's not, it's not where I'm at. Like, this don't need to be a 10-minute deal. Ladies, I'm just telling you, if your prayer's more than five minutes and you're laying in bed, we out. <laughs> Amen. You wake up at 3 o'clock. Amen. Amen. Oh, okay. Y'all laugh because you know that's true. This needs to be a two-minute deal. And you're not praying at your spouse. And you're, honestly, it'd be best not to pray for them because you've got flesh in you that can't help yourself. God, I just, I love you and I, I thank you that, um, God, you've blessed us with a lot of things. And I know we go through rough seasons, God, but faith, hope, and love abide. Lord, give us faith to see you working in this. Lord, give us wisdom as parents. We're in this thing together and our kids are crazy. Lord, I pray you bless our lives and Lord, we really, we know we need to begin, get back to you and, and just please you. In Jesus' name, amen. I, I didn't pray God fix her, God fix him. I didn't pray about his selfishness. I didn't, I didn't do any of that. I spent time praying. Here's, here's the deal. Statistically in America, one out of three couples that get married get divorced and that's if they get married today. One out of three. Three couples get married, one of them gets divorced. That's, that's a pretty high divorce rate. If a couple does this keystone habit, if they're in the habit of doing this on a daily basis, that one in three statistic goes to one in 10,000. Might not work. You could be the 10,001. But I'm just telling you, if your marriage needs help, you need to make it a habit to push through the awkwardness. Being in prayer with someone, that is a very intimate thing. And guess what? Your marriage could use some intimacy. And so when you do that, you're willing to push through your laziness. You're willing to push through the awkwardness. You're willing to push through the selfishness. Make yourself vulnerable and pray for the gift of unity in your marriage that God has given you. It's the keystone habit that'll help you. Let me give you some resources here. And I know some of your readers, some of your not readers, but one I, I used to almost like if I married you, I had to do this. Put, stick that up there for me if you would. It's uh, the Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. Here's the deal: we all are wired to receive love and affirmation in certain ways. And Chapman explains that there's five predominant ways, and sometimes there's hybrids of them, and so on and so forth. Many of you've read this book. Many of you could quote back your love language to me. Maybe you've been to marriage conference that taught that. Some of you don't know what that is. And here's what's going on: you're saying I love you to your spouse, and this is what they hear: because you're not saying it in a way they can receive it. It's a very powerful book. Good, short, easy read. If you were having issues in your marriage, I would say if you haven't read that, start there and then start speaking and practicing your spouse's love language, okay? Because if you don't know what their love language is, you're going to love them through your love language. And you're gonna be saying, I love you, and they don't receive it. The second one I would say would be the one on the right, and that's love and respect. It's pretty similar to the five love languages. Uh, Dr. Egrich goes into Ephesians where it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and wives submit to your husbands. Ooh, not popular today in our secular culture, but we're not trying to build secular marriages. We're trying to build biblical marriages. And he talks about the fruit, if you will do these things and how that will make an impact in your marriage. And then the last one is the love there. There's a movie came out several years ago called Fireproof. Maybe you just need to have a good couple movie night. Stick Fireproof on Netflix. If, I don't know if it's on there. I don't, I don't know. But I'm just saying, it's a, it's a movie that was made by Christian people to give hope, faith, and love to your marriage and encourage you. But the love there is a 40-day challenge. 
And every day it just gives you a little assignment to speak love to your spouse. And it's that if I will plant the right seeds, I might have taken me six years to get here in the mess, but this is 40 days. 40 days of doing the right thing and see and watch God work in your marriage. Can I get an amen, everybody? You're here today, and I know I've gone just a little bit long, but you're here today and you know you're not in right relationship with Christ. I want to share the gospel with you plain and simple. All of us, all of us are sinners. And while we were dead and stuck in that sin, there wasn't anything we could do. Christ so loved the world. It was love that nailed him to the cross. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. He shed his blood so your sin could be forgiven. Book of Romans says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart God raised him from the dead, then we would be saved. I want to help you this morning do that very thing. Confess and believe. I'm going to say a little prayer all across this room. Every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody moving around. Keep your stuff real still for just a moment. Someone's eternity could be in this moment. And I want to simply help you confess and believe, I won't embarrass you. You don't have to walk the aisle. You don't have to talk to anybody. I'm going to lead you in a prayer where we confess and believe. Are you ready? If that's you today, and pray this prayer with me. Right there at your seat, just under your breath, say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today because I love you and I need you. And I'm so sorry that I've made a mess of my life. I've made a lot of mistakes. And I'm a sinner. Would you forgive me? Would you come into my life? Begin to change me? Make me a new person? I don't want that life anymore. I repent. Today, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Every head still bowed, every eye still closed. I promise I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. Nobody's looking around, it's just me. If you prayed that prayer with me, lift up your hand real high so I can see it. Okay, see it. Anybody else? Lift it up real high. Okay, see it. God, you, you see these hands and these hearts this morning. Lord, that's... Holy Spirit pulling and calling and, and bringing them to this moment where they said yes. They took that step of faith and said, Jesus, I surrender. Lord, this is big. This is a lot. It's a lot to understand. God, I pray you, you bring Christians. I pray you, you bring things in their life to help them take that next step. Help them to understand what it means to be a believer. God, help them to experience forgiveness. Lord, it's not an emotional decision. This is an eternal decision. But I pray today, God, that your spirit just lock it in them because the enemy may try to come at them and go, that wasn't real. You didn't mean that. In this moment, God, they surrendered. They meant it with everything. And God, we celebrate this moment, this beginning of faith, that first step where they completely surrender their whole life to you. God, protect them. Help them get connected into good church. Lord, we pray it be here. We celebrate spirit working and calling us into relationship. In the beautiful, matchless name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody says, guys, would you give God the biggest praise you got in your belly? Amen. That never gets old. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way, you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, 
visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.